food shortages, higher prices, and the looming fear of recession. One thing is certain, we're living in uncertain financial times. And so what better time than the present to consider our relationship with Jesus and money? I'm Charles Morris, and you're listening to The Great Stories Podcast. And on this episode, I'm sharing a new interview with Bible scholar and New Testament professor at Asbury Theological Seminary, Dr. Ben Witherington. Following the recession in 2008, Ben published what I think is the best book on faith and finances. It's called Jesus and Money, a guide for times of financial crisis. And we have it available at haventoday.org for your gift to Haven Ministries. You might remember that 2008 was when the housing market collapsed. People were losing their jobs right and left. Fast forward to today. Are we in a recession? Are we not in a recession? Gas prices are on their way down a bit while the cost of eggs are reaching record highs. A lot of meat as well. And so I think now is a really good time for Christians to look inward, but also to look upward on our relationship to money. And in this conversation that I want to share with you, you'll hear Ben Witherington offer some sage wisdom and as well some curt biblical advice, often taking a no-nonsense approach to building a biblical framework around how Christians should handle their money. And I believe this is a pressing issue for us as we begin 2023. So let's get started. Welcome to Haven Today. We're talking this week about Jesus and money. And who better to have back on with us than someone we had on during the Great Recession a number of years ago. Dr. Ben Witherington is, uh, my words, not his, a formidable New Testament scholar. He's a longtime professor at Asbury Seminary, and he's on the doctoral faculty at St. Andrews University in Scotland. Ben, thank you so much for taking time to join us again. Glad to be with you. And uh, you wrote a book several years ago when we went through the housing crisis and and financial hard times, and you called it Jesus and Money. And I thought, my goodness, we need Ben Weatherington back on again, because we've, we've seen uh, inflation going back up over the past year, baby formula shortages, high prices of, of everything, gas prices, the war in Ukraine, natural gas uh, prices and cutoffs going up in Western Europe, and we're not out of the woods yet. So... You want to give me the elevator talk right now for Christians listening and for me. What would you say Jesus has to teach us about money more than anything else? Well, mainly that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's not our money. So lose the sense of entitlement for a start. Mm. It's mm. not ours. Mm. God is the owner of all property on earth. We are only stewards. And what we should have been asking all along is, Lord, how can I best be a good steward of your resources? Mm-hmm. And really, that changes the whole conversation about what are necessities, what are luxuries in life, etc. I mean, I, I think it's pretty clear that Jesus called us to live uh, a, a simple lifestyle 
not a luxurious one. And uh, he would have us take very seriously the need to evaluate uh, what's really important in terms of uh, food, shelter, clothing, cars, etc. Pray about those things and really study the scriptures and what it says about how to use our resources. Hmm. Uh, do you think uh, we've got it wrong? I mean, Ben, I remember the best-selling books on Christians and money uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Follow this simple set of rules and you will be happy, safe, wise. I don't see a lot of those books around anymore. Uh, there are radio broadcasts still on the air. Uh do you think Christians, especially in North America, have looked at money in the wrong way, maybe through the wrong set of eyes? Yeah, in many ways, I think that's absolutely true. Um, they, they've been fed a message from our culture of success and health and wealth and um, told to evaluate themselves on how much money they have. And I mean, you know, I've even seen Christians with bumper stickers that say the one who dies with the most toys wins. You know, I, mm. it, it's to me, that's just anathema. Um, mm. it, you know, I mean, Jesus uh, preaches a message of enough that that God takes care of us who are faithful to him in terms of food and shelter and clothing and anything else should be considered as tools for ministry or sucker of others who need our help, etc. So. I think uh, the truth of the matter is that we have allowed our culture and its rampant materialism mm. to uh, really color how we look at money and resources in general. I mean, think about this for a minute, Charles. I mean, I, I was born B.C. before cell phone, right? <laughs> B.C., before computer even, right? And And in the 50s, get this, we had zero fast food restaurants. We had zero credit cards when I was born. Mm -hmm. And the people who came out of World War II, namely my parents, were very, very frugal with their resources. And, and rightly so. They were generous to the church and frugal with everything else. And I, I'm afraid that whole message got lost in translation in the last mm. 50 plus years. I, I, I think you don't hear that message very much. Mm. Mm. Well, and I think, uh, I guess what disturbs me, Ben, the most is sometimes even preachers of the gospel uh, say, if you just have enough faith, or if you claim something, or if you send my ministry or my church X amount of money, dig deep, then you're going to be of no problems. You're going to be even rich. You'll have a Rolls Royce to drive like I do or something. I mean, uh, and, and I picked this up when I've been in Africa speaking. It's, it's rampant all over the world, but it's rampant where we are. How do we get our heads straight as Christians? Well, one of the things, I mean, I had the same experience in Moscow. Here were all these struggling poor um, Russian Baptist pastors and ministers at a conference in beautiful downtown Moscow and a big 
arena that was formerly the arena where the communists would regularly meet. Mm. So there was some irony to this because it was now a mega church. Mm. Okay. But, but, and, and they had a speaker from Israel, what, who was a health and wealth gospel preacher mm. preaching to an audience who had barring a miracle shower of money from heaven had no capacity to actually follow this message in the tiny little rural churches they had in various cities outside of Moscow. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. So, you know, I, I'm afraid that we have been affected and infected by the, the Western vision of, of uh, rampant materialism. And well, what do we do about that? Well, we have to go through a process of de-enculturation. Mm. And, you know, I, I, it's not going to be enough to say, God bless my standard of living. And it's, and it's especially not going to be good enough to listen to TV preachers who take all kinds of things out of context. I, a good example is, you know, seek first the kingdom mm -hmm. and all these things will be added to you. Yes. Well, if you look at the previous verses, what Jesus had promised was food, shelter and clothing. What he didn't, what he didn't promise was, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? No, that's not what's promised. <laughs> Jesus is talking to his disciples before television, before cars, before any of that. And what he says is the heavenly father, if you take uh, the time mm -hmm. to trust him, mm -hmm. will take care of your basic needs in life. That's all, you know, I mean, this would be the opposite of the message I heard in New York City some time ago from Reverend Ike, who got on the TV and said, the scripture for today is from St. Paul, who said, the lack of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, of course, that's not what that scripture says at all, right? <laughs> and then he proceeded to give his uh, message, if money is burning a hole in your pocket or is a temptation, send it to me. Now, I'm going, this <laughs> and Jesus, if he was dead, would be rolling over in his grave over this kind of message. It is a disaster, and it has nothing to do with what New Testament teaches about money. Well, Dr. Ben Witherington, one of the things I appreciate is you draw in the Old Testament before you move to the New Testament. Yeah. Let's just tackle something. Let's tackle a verse. Let's tackle a passage. Let's say... Everybody listening to the program today wants to follow their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They want to be good stewards. Uh, pick a passage that maybe we've gotten a little wrong and help us understand how we can get it right and grow in our faith uh, to serve him better as good stewards of what he gives us, whether we have a little or whether we have a lot, like the Apostle Paul said he had learned to deal with not having much or anything and having more at certain times. Sure. You know, I, I would say that probably in terms of the practical Christian gurus like Dave Ramsey and others, uh, the, their focus when they deal with the Old Testament tends to be the book of Proverbs and some of the things that are said in the book of Proverbs uh, about, you know, if you're faithful to God, then you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Uh, a very loose interpretation of certain things that are said in the mm -hmm. book of Proverbs and, and elsewhere in the Old Testament. Well, first of all, it's true that 
having a place to live, having clothes to, to wear, um, having resources to do good to others as well as your own family is, of course, a blessing from God. That's not the issue. The issue is, what are you going to do with mm -hmm. the blessings God has given you? Mm -hmm. If you think that God has blessed you just so you can say, God just blessed me. Now I can do what I want with any of these mm -hmm. resources. You've mm -hmm. forgotten that you're answerable to God because you're using his resources, not particularly your resources, except you're a steward of his resources. So, and here's the other thing. I mean, I get really tired of this, but if you know anything about Old Testament um, economies, these are barter economies. Mm. They're not money economies. You cannot read modern Western capitalism back into the Old Testament. It just mm. isn't there. Mm. I mean, you begin to have a money economy uh, before the time of Jesus, but not much before the time of Jesus. But still, the dominant form of economy was exchange, was bartering. Money was mainly used for taxes, tolls, tributes, and tithes, the four mm -hmm. T's. That's it. And when Israel was a, you know, an occupied people, money usually had a negative valence. Yes. It had yes. pictures of the emperor on it. That's idolatry. Mm. Okay. So money has a negative valence uh, in various places in the New Testament, as well as in the Old Testament. You know, Jesus says you cannot serve God and unrighteous mammon. And he's talking about money. So, you know, I, one has to weigh what the whole scriptures say, starting with the Old Testament and working your way to the New Testament. Now, in regard to that bit I mentioned at first, the book of Proverbs, here's the thing. This is general wisdom that often it applies and is true. These aphorisms or proverbs in the book of Proverbs are not universally true. It is not universally true, even in a devout Christian family, that when you train up your child in the way that he should go, he will not depart from it in his old age. Is that always true? No, it's not. Mm -hmm. And so these are general maxims that are often true under the right circumstances, in the right context. So that that's, you know, a sort of simplistic, like, let's just pick out a verse from Proverbs. This is my theme verse for this week and my resources. I will be guiding in regard to that. Now, here's the other interesting thing. No question. The Old Testament calls for tithing. A good giving of 10 percent. You know what? The New Testament <laughs> says that ain't good enough. You need to be doing sacrificial giving. When Jesus holds up the example of the widow with her two mites, putting in all her liquid assets into the temple treasury and says she gave more than all these wealthy people who actually put in a lot more money in the temple treasury on the same day, mm -hmm. he's talking about sacrificial giving. The standard in the New Testament is, okay, I gave God 10%. Now I can do what I want with the 90%. No, mm. standard for a Christian is sacrificial giving. I, I really love what John Wesley did with all of this material. He wrote a sermon, which I think every Christian should read, entitled On the Use of Money. Mm. He has three, three points, like a good three-point sermon. A, make all you can by honest means. Hello, Christians. 
<laughs> if you're making a fortune off of X, Y, and Z, like lottery tickets, not so much. This is not what John Wesley calls honest living. Number two, save all you can. In other words, live frugally. And three, give all you can. Now, he says, if you do the first two and you don't do the third, if you're not committed to sacrificial giving, you may be a living person, but you're a dead Christian. Mm. That's the end of the sermon. Mm. A convicting sermon. I would say so. Yes. It, it still is a convicting sermon. So, you know, I, I think that we have to be very circumspect when we think about what we do with our resources and, uh, and how we distribute or use them. John Wesley said, he was working his way towards old age and making sure that he had given away all his excess resources before he died. He didn't quite succeed because money kept coming in from his book sales, mm -hmm. but the conference took care of the rest. But he mm -hmm. was thoroughly committed to what Jesus says, sacrificial giving, what Paul says, sacrificial giving. Well, that sounds like a really good example for us all today. Uh, I guess some of the the wealthiest Christians I've ever met uh, really took that to heart. And I'm talking about biblical Christians uh, who weren't just watching TV for church every Sunday and, and, and trying to think they would make even more money. Uh, they gave beyond 10%. Uh, Laterno in Texas, the, the equipment manufacturer, founded a, a university. He gave away 90%. I've known more than one person who says at least half of what I make, I need to give away. And and maybe they leave a little for their heirs, but their idea is the same thing that you just expressed from John Wesley. I want all of whatever I have to go for kingdom purposes. Uh, that doesn't fit our culture today, but it no. sounds, it makes a lot of sense as a Christian and a good steward in the kingdom, doesn't it? That That's exactly right. And and I would say the other thing John Wesley said is, he said, if your children are wastrels, by which mm -hmm. he means people that squander money for frivolous things, he says, if you're leaving money to them in your will, leave only enough for maintenance, give the rest to the church or worthy charitable causes. Mm -hmm. Don't just leave them in your will if that's their nature of way of handling resources. Now, you know, that, that advice, I don't know how many Christians take. Uh, ben Witherington, Paul wrote this little line that we've quoted so often, but I don't know that we get it right. Money is the root of all evil. You want to, you're the New Testament commentator. You want to run with that for me a little bit and explain yeah. that to us? Yeah, that's not what he says. What he says is the love of money. Yep. Is, yep. And it's not the root. The Greek is pretty clear. A root of all sorts of evil. Not the root. Mm -hmm. It's a root of all sorts of evil. So what he's talking about is the hard attitude towards money. He He's specifically critiquing greed, of course. The love of... He's, he's critiquing Silas Marner. He's critiquing mm -hmm. all the... You know, Midas, Croesus, as wealthy as Croesus, he's critiquing people who have let their hearts wander away from or have never been directed towards God. 
And somehow they think that their security is all based on how much, how many material possessions they can obtain or how much money they can get. And, you know, that's a problem of the human heart. Because, frankly, there is no everlasting security except in God. Money is no substitute for God. Money cannot fill up the God-shaped vacuum in your heart. And so when he says a love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, he ain't lying. He's telling the truth. <laughs> ben, there's this commonality out there among Christians where I live but and you live, but all over the world where if you just have enough faith, you're going you're gonna to get fill in the blank. Yeah. Um, that's 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 not what scripture teaches, is it? No, it, it it certainly is not. In the first place, God's not going to give you anything that is clearly contrary to his will unless he gives it to you as a test to see how badly you're going to fail. <laughs> okay. That's number 1. Number 2, God wants you to develop good, godly judgment. So, you know, no prayers like Janice Joplin's, uh, oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? No prayers like that, thank you, especially in a world full of starving children. No, no prayers like that, thank you. That's just too narcissistic or self-centered. Uh, no prayers like that. But here's the other thing. The assumption that God is going to do something for you uh, on the basis of the quantity of your faith? Well, in fact, the New Testament says even if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, all kinds of things are possible. So it's not about how much faith you have or how little faith you have. No preacher should be telling you, well, you know, you didn't win the lotto because you just didn't have enough faith. <laughs> You know, that, that should never be the case. <laughs> oh, Ben, it's been too many years since we had you on the air. That that uh, that humor of yours that came from your roots, it just always comes through. And then added to that, the scholarship. I so appreciate you. So, Ben, what does the Bible really teach us about faith? All right, let's talk a minute about saving faith. Okay, saving faith is not a faith of somebody who's already a Christian. Saving faith, as in being justified by grace through faith, may be a very infant kind of faith. It may just be saying, Lord, help me. <laughs> I need to be yours. I'm not yours. Help me. I mean, that is no gigantic faith. It's no gigantic leap. It's a surrender is what it really is. I love the story about C.S. Lewis. He says that there was a day when he was in Maudlin College at Oxford and sort of God backed him into a corner. And he says, and on that day, I became the most reluctant convert in all of Christendom. Right. That's not what I call, you know, great is thy faithfulness. No, no, it's not. It's not. That's okay. I surrender, God. I surrender. I yield. Stop cannonading in my direction. You know, I'm 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 ready to be yours. Well, 
the truth of the matter is that that has to do with saving faith. But it is also true that Paul lists, for those who are already Christians, faith as one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So what is he talking about? Well, it's not about money. I'll tell you that. It, it's probably about healing. Uh, that that you have someone who has what we would call a faith healer, someone who has been given the gift of healing, because it's right. It's mentioned right next to miracles. Hmm. Uh, so you know, Paul's not even thinking about merely being good stewards of material resources. He's thinking about how we can help and heal people who are wounded in our midst in the Christian community. And and that's a very important kind of faith because especially now after the pandemic, we have a lot of anxiety prone, mm -hmm. depressed, mm -hmm. and, and even severely depressed people who need some spiritual healing, even if they don't need physical healing. I mean, I, I have a friend who's had long COVID and he's having to take constant pain pills to even sleep at night from long COVID, just horrible, right? So we, we need some healing. But the other thing to say about this is Paul's concept of enough. He says, I've learned how to live with a lot. I've learned how to live without. Here's the thing, says Paul. I've learned how to be content and godly in whatever my situation is, even if I'm suffering. I mean, wow. Mm, mm. No, Paul yes. is not a whiner. He's not, mm. be woe is me. He says, I've learned how to live with and I've learned how to without. Have Christians in the late Western world learned how to live without? Have they really? Mm. Maybe they need to go through a good depression for a while and mm. learn just how important their resources are and how they distribute them, how important that is. Maybe that's a lesson God would teach us now. Mm. Ben, you, you've, you've, um, you grew up in a close-knit family, something that not everybody has today, of course. Right. Um, uh, and you're two generations back from you, as in my own case as well, there was the Great Depression. Yeah. And 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 what did you hear back then that maybe is really biblical and we can apply to our living today, even at a time when we, we've got so much, even if prices have gone higher, and during COVID, we had some short supply too. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have to just say, having been all over the world, and dealt with all kinds of Christians, you name it, in the Orient, in Africa, wherever, right? Most North American Christians are spoiled rotten hmm. by world standards, not by U.S. standards necessarily, but by world standards, mm -hmm. right? Most Christians in the world, millions and millions of them, are living a subsistence existence, and they're very lucky to have a house, a job that actually helps them completely support their family, maybe a car to get to work and back. And, you know, they don't have a lot of sympathy for us. I mean, 
we were in Turkey and I, I have a lot of friends in Turkey, Christian friends and, and non-Christian friends. The cost of gasoline is $9 a gallon in mm. Turkey. Mm. We've never seen mm. that. We, we have no clue how the other half lives in terms of the cost of even essential resources like gasoline. And we, we have no clue, you know? And so many Christians who live a very basic existence is all over the world don't have a lot of sympathy for our situation because mm -hmm. what we've done is we've outspent our resources. We've lived a life of excess and now we're paying the price and now we're complaining. And so, you know, I mean, what the depression taught my parents was you really do need to know how to save for a rainy day. You shouldn't just be going on Amazon and buying whatever you see, whether you've got the resources or not, you know, and then thinking, oh, I'll just pay later. Right. No, I mean, my grandparents taught me pay as you go. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I live on a teacher's salary. It is not a fortune. And so, I mean, our house is paid for, our cars are paid for. We take care of our bills every single month and pay them off every month. Even if we've used credit cards, we absolutely have lived that way. I mean, when I went into the pastorate in 1980, I was making $12,000 a year plus gas money to go to the hospitals to visit my parishioners. That was it. No way was I going to save much money with a wife and a child, right? When we moved to Ashland, Ohio in 1984, we bought a house for $38,000, which was a big A lot of upper, money. A oh, fixer, okay. Right? <laughs> 11 years later, that house only sold in 1995 for $68,000. But it's all we mm -hmm. could afford because we were going to, as my granny would say, live within your means or do without, you know, um, my grandmother was definitely one of those people who could uh, pinch a nickel until the blood vessels in Abraham Lincoln's face burst. You know, <laughs> she, she knew how to do that. And she didn't trust banks because of 1929. She would put her resources in the hope chest, not in the bank. Wow. After 1929, she just didn't trust banks. Now, I'm not telling anybody not to trust the bank anymore. But what I am saying is, are you really circumspect about how you use your money and save your money and spend your money in such a way that you are not encumbered with huge debt, period? I mean, I worked my way through college. I worked my way through seminary. I came out of seminary with zero debt, and it's not because I had a lot of money. It's because I worked hard. You know, um, I don't know that. Um, generation X, Y, and Z really understand the principle of you need to earn it before you spend it. Uh, you know, no, we've got credit cards. We can do whatever we want with credit cards. Mm. Um, it's not a good way to live. No, it's not. So preach to me just a little bit more here. How am I as a follower of Jesus to live? Well, what I would say is make a list of what are actually the necessities in your life and what are actually luxuries 
in your life. And then once you've made an itemized list, ask yourself, how much am I spending on A and how much am I spending on B? And is there a gross imbalance here, right? Is most of my spending of my liquidatable assets on luxuries? And when I say luxuries, I don't mean, for example, do I have a car or not? I mean, I don't live in England. When I lived in England, I could get on a bus or a train or a plane. I honestly didn't need a car. <laughs> in the United States, that, that ain't, that ain't going to fly in the United <laughs> States, right? We do right. need a car, but you need a car that's going to be sturdy, that's going to hopefully last a long time. If you live in town, what you don't need is a $90,000 pickup truck, mm. which you will not use the up for anything. <laughs> just riding along. I mean, those are the kind of things you need to think about, right? Mm. How can I live a simpler lifestyle? But what, mm. what my wife and I have done is we've gone entirely to hybrid cars. And and that's mm. helped us save money. No no question. Our, our Russian daughter, Yulia, we, we got her a Prius. She gets 62 miles to the gallon going back and forth to Chicago to do her PhD. Well, good for her. That's like at least twice what most people get per gallon in their car. Mm -hmm. So there are ways to be a good witness in the way that you uh, extend your resources for necessities of life, like food, shelter, clothing, and transportation. Would, would you pray, uh, lead us in prayer, and pray for many of our listeners right now who are going through uh, tough times, hard times, uh, because of the economy right now. Let me have a prayer. Lord, um, we are constantly bombarded hundreds of times a day with advertisements for all kinds of things, trying to fire up our imagination and uh, whether it gives us satisfaction or not, I pray for those who are struggling with their resources during the current inflation and difficult times that they may be facing, that you would give them the wisdom of Solomon and of Jesus in regard to how best use their resources in a way that glorifies God and edifies others. Not only for the help of their family, but for the help of their churches that are trying to recover from the pandemic, among other things. Uh, Lord, I just ask that you would give them open hearts to you, gracious spirits to others, and a clear understanding that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We're just passing through. We're just stewards of God's resources. That should free us up to be less anxious about what we eat or what we drink, or where we sleep, or any of those kinds of things. It's time now for all of us in this struggling situation to trust the Lord with all our heart and do not rely on our own instincts, but rather on the better wisdom of God's Word. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Great Stories with Charles Morris. 
And I also want to thank again Dr. Ben Witherington for sharing so many biblical insights on Jesus and money. If you want to learn more, go to haventoday.org. You can get your own copy of Ben's book, Jesus and Money, A Guide for Times of Financial Crisis. I think it's the best Christian book on money I've ever read. And if you want to hear more conversations like this, just subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, help us get the word out. Leave us a five-star review. And you can also go to haventoday.org and sign up for our weekly email and discover additional episodes posted on our blog. And as always, thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris. Mm -hmm.